You're listening to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Here's your host, Ed Yonka, Director of Communications and Public Policy. Seven years ago, Illinois began enforcing the Parental Notice of Abortion Act, a measure requiring young people under 18 years of age to notify a designated adult family member before they can access abortion care. Young people who cannot tell one of these adult family members about their abortion decision must go before a judge to get a judicial bypass waiver in order to have the procedure without the forced parental involvement. Since the law went into effect, the ACLU of Illinois has operated the Judicial Bypass Coordination Project to provide assistance and legal representation to youth having to navigate this law all around the state of Illinois. Human Rights Watch and the ACLU of Illinois recently collaborated on a report titled, The Only People It Really Affects Are the People It Hurts, The Human Rights Impact of Parental Notice of Abortion Act in Illinois, Assessing This Law Through a Human Rights Lens. Today, we'll be joined by Margaret Worth of Human Rights Watch to talk about the report and Davina DiPaolo from the ACLU of Illinois staff to talk about efforts in our state to repeal the Parental Notice of Abortion Act. Our first guest is Margaret Worth, a senior researcher at Human Rights Watch and has led the efforts for this report. Margaret, welcome to Talking Liberties. Thank you, Ed. It's great to be here. So let me start with kind of the first question. Where'd that title come from? The title is actually a quote from a young person. Uh, Her name is Hannah. She's a youth organizer with the Illinois Caucus for Adolescent Health. And I was asking why she's passionate about repealing parental notice of abortion. And she explained to me that this law really only affects the people who are harmed by it. The vast majority of young people voluntarily involve a parent or another trusted adult in their abortion decision, regardless of what the law says. And it's so much simpler to do that. But for those who can't, for those who don't have that supportive adult family member in their life, this law is deeply harmful. It delays their care. It can force them through a traumatizing court process. And I think that's really the point she was trying to convey and why we chose that quote for the report. You know, the only people this law affects are the people it hurts. Just for our listeners who may not be accustomed to thinking about this in this lens, why do you think and why does Human Rights Watch think that the Parental Notice of Abortion Act is a is a human rights issue? So under human rights law, under international law, everyone has you know, rights to life, rights to health, rights to privacy and confidentiality. And it became clear to us as we started investigating the impacts of this law that it was violating and threatening a whole range of human rights for young people under the age of 18. It is a barrier to them accessing health care, which is you know, a right that they have under international law. Uh, it can force young people to turn to safe abortion methods, which could, in the most severe cases, potentially put their lives in danger and risk their right to life. We include in the report a really thorough analysis of all the human rights standards, which make very clear that young people under the age of 18 have a right to access abortion, that their abortion decision, their kind of wishes with regard to abortion have to be heard and respected, and that authorization requirements, parental involvement requirements like Illinois' law are in violation of these human rights standards. 
You know, a couple just other questions about the report itself. I, I, I just wanted to ask, why Illinois? What was it about Illinois that kind of drew you to look at this? This is These laws are in place across the country. I'm wondering what it was about our state that kind of drew you to look at this. Illinois is one of 37 U.S. states that have parental involvement laws, but it's very unique in that it's a state in a part of the country that has relatively accessible abortion care. Unlike other states that surround it, Illinois doesn't impose long waiting periods or, you know, multiple counseling appointments. You know, state leaders have already made a real commitment to safeguarding reproductive rights. But this parental notification law is still a huge barrier to access that remains on the books. So we wanted to look at Illinois both for its significance regionally and because it has a real opportunity to repeal this law. We know that legislators in the state have a commitment to protect young people. There are bills in the Illinois General Assembly that would repeal this law, get this awful law off the books. And so we wanted to come to Illinois, you know, do this human rights analysis in partnership with the ACLU of Illinois and really try to put for repeal and, and kind of help safeguard young people's rights in the state. And I should just say that the Parental Abortion of Abortion Act is, is really kind of an outlier in Illinois, given the other steps we've taken. And of course, given all the other decisions that pregnant minors in Illinois can make, save for this one. I wondered if you could talk just a little bit too about your process, your methodology, and and you know, how that sort of worked in, in terms of getting this report together. So Human Rights Watch, the bread and butter of our work is in-depth interviews with people who have, you know, firsthand experience um, either, you know, living through a human rights problem or kind of helping and serving those who are facing a human rights problem. For this report, we did in-depth interviews with 37 people in Illinois. You know, these were attorneys who represent young people in judicial bypass cases, uh, medical persons who counsel young people about their abortion options, you know, counsel them through pregnancy decisions, you know, advocates and activists that have been, you know, involved in pushing to repeal this law. But the reason the partnership with the ACLU of Illinois was so valuable is is because, you know, you all through your work actually representing these young people, you know, years of data and information on how the system was working, on how it was impacting people's access to care. So for the report, we were able to couple these, you know, really in-depth interviews with some quantitative data analysis and statistical analysis and kind of put this all together to make the strongest possible case for why this law violates human rights and, and should be repealed. So I wonder, you touched on it just at the end of that answer. So what'd you find? What what are the what are for you the big findings from, from this report? So we we broke the report up into a number of sections. And some of the strongest findings for me were about kind of how this law really pushes young people to either go through a distressing and sometimes traumatizing court process or to actually involve unsupportive or even abusive parents or adult family members in their abortion decisions and how harmful both of those paths can be. So, you know, we have a whole chapter on the reasons why some young people can't involve their parents. Overwhelmingly, it's because they know that their parents or adult family members will, you know, force them to continue a pregnancy when that's not what they want or kick them out of the home or, you know, that their relationships with their family members will be ruined forever, that they'll face alienation and really be, you know, kind of cast out and on their own. And, you know, some of the health providers that we interviewed for this report talked about those very consequences 
coming true for their patients. There was a social worker I interviewed who worked with a young person whose parents were staunchly opposed to abortion. And when they found out that she was in the process of trying to seek an abortion for an unwanted pregnancy, they, in the social worker's words, made this young person a prisoner in her own home. They took away her keys. They stopped her from traveling. They refused to let her access the care she wanted. And that interference in her decision altered the course of her whole life. Um, so these are the kinds of cases and findings that we present in the report, just how devastating this law can be for, you know, that subset of young people who don't have that, you know, supportive adult who qualifies under the law to be involved in this decision. So one theme as you read through the entirety of the report, I think one theme that comes through when you talk about this issue is just that family communications are really complicated that they're really difficult. And I wonder as you, again, you know, sort of what you drew from talking to both young people, to counselors and others, like how, how that sort of manifested itself in terms of your findings. I think that's exactly it. You know, family communication is complicated. And, you know, many of the people that I interviewed for this report, you know, are parents themselves or they're young people who are, you know, navigating relationships with their parents. And across the board, it was very clear to us that this law does nothing to promote the kind of family communication that loving parents want to have with their young people, right? This is a law that stops young people from accessing care that they need, time-sensitive care that they need, and forces them to essentially appear before a perfect stranger, a judge, to get permission to continue with a decision about their own body and their own life. And what was really interesting to me is that, you know, some of the providers that I interviewed for the report, the attorneys, you know, have children themselves, young people who are, you know, in their teenage years and, you know, could potentially be subject to this law. And what they said over and over was, I am working so hard as a parent to foster the kind of relationship with my young person where they would feel safe coming to me. For around this decision. But if they didn't feel safe or if they couldn't, and for the young people that don't have this kind of relationship, they still need care. And that's who this law is harming. I think the other thing that the report kind of points out, going through this notification process or going to court can, can actually affect the care that someone can get and, and affect the actual provision of the healthcare itself and what kind of care that one gets. And what are your findings there? So we analyzed data that the ACLU of Illinois, you know, collected and compiled over about a three and a half year period. And we found that on average for young people who had to go through the judicial bypass process, that process added at least a week to their abortion seeking timeline on average. A week may not sound like much, but a week can mean the difference between having the option of a medication abortion, which is you know, a method that a lot of people prefer. Um, it can mean the difference between a one-day procedure and a two-day procedure that requires multiple appointments. These delays can be really significant for people's you know, experience of their health care. And in extreme circumstances, it can you know, delay to the point where they're potentially reaching the, the kind of gestational cutoffs that the state of Illinois imposes. So you know, these delays are really significant. And in some cases, we found, you know, providers were saying that young folks came to them having waited until they turned 18 to, you know, not be forced to involve an unsupportive adult family member in their decision or go to court. That sometimes meant delaying by weeks. It meant, you know, kind of longer and more involved procedures, more expensive procedures with real effects on, on their experience and their health care. 
So I want to talk a little bit about the court process. You, you've touched on this, but I wanted to, to talk about that a little bit. Um, it was interesting to me, for example, and you know, you were able to talk to a judge who has heard these cases. But but I wanted to kind of frame this in a little bit of a, of a larger way. But look, none of us like to go to court, right? Even if we get a traffic ticket, none of us want to go to court. And I wonder then what you heard when, when you're going to court isn't about a traffic ticket or a fine, but it could literally be about whether or not you're going to become a parent. And I just wonder, like, for the people who are inside that system and part of it, what do they say? What do they think about that process? I think the harmful impacts of forcing young people to go to court as part of a healthcare process cannot be underestimated or underemphasized. Just for me, thinking about it for a minute, having to appear before a judge who, no matter what age you are, is someone in a position of authority. You know, for a young person under the age of 18, this judge is certainly going to be someone much older than them, likely someone who, you know, may not look like them, may not have the same life experiences that they've had. And you're going before them and answering questions about the most intimate aspect of your life, about, you know, an unwanted pregnancy, about birth control, about what abortion entails, what potential risks there could be. Talking about these kind of deeply personal medical decisions in front of a perfect stranger and in the context of a court system. I mean, I think the message that young people take away from this is that they've done something wrong. You know, one yeah. of the I interviewed talked about, you know, young people see this in the very same way they're sworn in at the start of their hearing in the same way they hear about or see on TV happening in a criminal legal proceeding. You know, you're going to a courthouse and all the associations that brings. And then I think the other really important aspect of this is that our research showed the overwhelming majority of young people who've gone through bypass in recent years were young people of color, Black, Indigenous, or other young people of color. And for them, going through a court system in the context of all the structural discrimination and systemic racism that we know, you know we are grappling with as a country, um, the harm and the potential trauma of that really is, is profound and, and is deeply harmful. You know, I, and I was interested, like, you know, you, you think about what the, the what the judge describes, and it's actually a requirement for the judge to ensure that the young person understands the process and the decision they're making, which does require them to ask some pretty invasive questions in some ways. Yeah, the standard in the law is that a young person has to demonstrate either that they are sufficiently mature and well enough informed to have an abortion without involving a parent or an adult family member, or that parental involvement is not in their best interests. And in most cases, young people and their attorneys are trying to, you know, potentially prove both of those tests or show both of those criteria. So that means not only are you answering intrusive questions about how you became pregnant, um, why you want to have an abortion, what that abortion might entail, what the medical process is, you know, what you're what you might experience in your body. And you have to think about all of that in the context of stigma around teen sex, stigma around abortion, just the layers and layers of stigma. Then there's a whole potential second set of questions about your family situation and why you're not in a position to involve that adult family member. And for many young people, that might be because they've faced, you know, physical or emotional abuse or because their parents have threatened outright to throw them out of the home. And so mm -hmm. you think about how distressing and painful it is to not only talk through this in invasive personal questioning, but then to also have to talk about some of the most difficult dynamics in your family and, you know, why you don't have that supportive person that qualifies under the law. Uh, I think it, 
you know, it can be deeply painful. And the attorneys I interviewed talked about, you know, just seeing the stress, the immense stress and anxiety that young people showed, you know, kind of immense emotion after the hearings ended or just, you know, such relief at getting through this process, but that it really took a toll on them. I, I was struck one of the examples you use about that in the report was about the, the, if you could describe it, about the client that the lawyer literally described holding their breath throughout that. I, I just, I mean, it, it pains you to even read it on the page. Yeah, yeah. They talked about kind of this client basically being so petrified, so intimidated that, yeah, you know, she felt like she couldn't even take a breath. And then huge outpouring of emotion afterward. And attorneys talked about their clients just kind of crying, both in relief and I think in sense of like, oh, gosh, I'm through this awful process. And now I still have all these steps ahead of me to get the care I need. So, and that leads into my next question, which is that you talked to a number of the lawyers who have represented these young people in cases around the state of Illinois. I wonder what you kind of take away from what the lawyer ends up thinking about these matters. And candidly, like, what do they think of this law then, you know, having gone through this process with someone? Every single lawyer I interviewed for this report strongly supported this law being repealed. They thought that it did nothing to help young people through their abortion decision-making process, that all it did was throw barriers and hurdles at them. And, you know, they walked me through what it entails. And, And we have to think about this is all with an extraordinary support system that the ACLU of Illinois and other organizations have put together where, you know, they try to get information out there. You're representing young people free of charge. Even with all that support, this is a hugely difficult process for young people to navigate. They have to find out that bypass is an option, get connected to a hotline or find information online, get connected to an attorney, have, you know, at least one and often multiple calls with an attorney to prepare for a hearing before a judge. And each of these points of communication, if they're in a family situation where they're unsafe or where they might face some kind of retaliation or abuse, if their decision is is disclosed or known, you know, each of these calls and points of communication is a chance for them to be exposed, for their confidentiality to be lost, and for them to face, you know, these real consequences. Um, you know, after all that prep, they still have to get themselves to a hearing, which in the time of, of the pandemic is happening virtually. But even that presents real challenges, right? Not everyone has a private space in their home where they can, you know, get on a laptop on Wi-Fi and do a Zoom hearing with a judge, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People I talked to for this report talked about young people, you know, abruptly hanging up or their calls being cut off, you know, trying to call from closets or walking around outside at night to try to find a safe space to communicate, to prepare for this process. Um, And that brought real risks. And then, you know, then they go through this whole hearing, all this, you know, kind of distressing and intrusive questioning. And then at that point, they can go and make the appointment and get the care they need. But it's just one hurdle after another. One of the interesting things and unique things was that you actually talked to healthcare providers and counselors about this process and about, you know, what they see from that end of of this process. And I'm curious as to kind of what they told you and how they see this law, because I think I think we've often focused, obviously, on the legal process and what the law says. And and that was really interesting, at least to me. 
Yeah, the the health providers we interviewed for this report, you know, they saw young people who had managed to go through this bypass process, but they also saw firsthand what it was like for young people who didn't go through bypass and, you know, who didn't have that that supportive adult family member in their life, but still had to comply with this law. And those are some of the most devastating cases that I think are part of this report. I mean, there were, you know, social workers talking to us about, there was a case of a young person who agreed to have her, you know, qualifying adult family member notified under the law. And basically his response to that phone call left her fearing for her safety. And the social worker in the clinic then had to involve the Department of Children and Family Services um, and essentially triggered an investigation. We talked to social workers who saw, you know, parents, you know, humiliate and criticize young people in the clinic. We had a social worker tell us that um, she's seen parents refuse to pay for the cost of sedation for a procedural abortion as kind of a form of punishment, which is just so cruel when you think about it. Another doctor told us that a young person's family member, adult parent, just left them at the clinic without a ride home, even though they were going to be groggy and need support after their procedure. So the health providers really had insight into how things can go wrong, even when you are complying with the law and not going through bypass um, and, and just how harmful it can be. You know, I think one of the other things that that some of the providers talked about was the sense of not knowing, not knowing what the universe is out there of young people who they never see as the result of this law and just how impactful, you know, that was to think about. Every single person I interviewed for this report talked about this population of young people who will never be able to really know what happened to them. You know, did they comply with this law and involve their parent and did that parent force them to continue a pregnancy even when it wasn't what they wanted? Or did they face some kind of physical abuse or harm even if they were able to get the abortion care? You know, these are the cases, kind of the people who are so daunted by this law that they're never able to pursue the healthcare that they have a right to pursue. Those are the people who are most harmed by this. And, you know, from a research standpoint, those are the stories that are nearly impossible to capture. They've certainly not, you know, reflected in this report, but I think those are the stories that, you know, providers told us keep them awake at night. Was there anything in doing this that you were surprised by that was unexpected, you know, as you went into the process? Did you hear anything you didn't expect or or, or that, that sort of took you back? Yeah, one of the more surprising interviews I did was with a retired judge who for several years presided over these bypass cases. You know, she had a really unique perspective because she was kind of the only person in that particular position that I had a chance to talk to for the report. And what was interesting was that she felt very strongly that the young people that came before her just consistently showed very good, very thoughtful decision-making, a lot of maturity, and basically that coming before her was a huge waste of their time and of her time, and that it put them at risk, you know, that showing up to come to court and appear before her was putting them at risk of being exposed and that the process didn't add anything to their decision-making. It didn't improve their care. It didn't offer them any support that they didn't already have. You know, these were young people who knew their lives. They knew who it was safe to involve. They had support in one way or another. And coming to court was just a hurdle for them to cross in their pathway to getting care. And I think her perspective really was, was one of the more surprising for me because it was so unique. You know, and I think, I think it's underscored by, in terms of the data, that over seven years, just one of these bypass requests out of more than 500 have been denied. 
and it does just underscore that the judges really do trust these young people coming before them. They do. And I think that statistic also just shows the futility of this process. It's unnecessary. It's not adding anything. And it's time for legislators to repeal this law. Well, that seems on that note, that seems like a great place for us to end this interview. And Margaret Worth, thank you so much for coming and talking about it. But if I could just say from our perspective, thank you for doing this report and and really collecting all of these stories and this information into one place. It, It is really something that I hope every legislator certainly will read. Thank you so much, Ed. We could not have done it without the ACLU of Illinois. I think it was a great partnership. And and I really, you know, I hope this report will be a tool that urges legislators to get rid of this awful law. And as we, we close out, I should say just one more time, the name of the report is The Only People It Really Affects Are the People It Hurts, The Human Rights Impact of the Parental Notice of Abortion Act in Illinois. And Margaret, thank you so very much. Thank you, Ed. It's been great talking with you. As Margaret mentioned, there's a bill that's been introduced in the Illinois State Legislature to repeal the Parental Notice of Abortion Act. We're now joined by Davina DiPaolo, who is an ACLU of Illinois staff attorney working on the Judicial Bypass Coordination Project and helping in the efforts to repeal this law. Davina, welcome to Talking Liberties. Thank you, Ed. Happy to be here. So why is, I mean, we heard from Margaret all about this report and the harms from the human rights lens. Why is the ACLU working so hard to repeal this law? So we're we're fighting to get PNA repealed because fundamentally it is a law that endangers youth who are pregnant. You know, the majority of young people do talk to a parent about an unplanned pregnancy without being forced to by any law. Um, However, the minority of youth who are not able to involve a parent in this situation do so because they have valid fears. You know, many fear physical or emotional abuse loss of financial support, homelessness, being first forced to give birth against their will, and, and more. And so the alternative of pursuing a judicial bypass imposes many obstacles and challenges for these young people. Many of these you know, logistical hurdles include getting away from school or home during business hours without raising any kind of suspicion from parents finding time to speak with their attorney, sharing and having to share the most intimate details of their life with complete strangers. And so you, we, we can't legislate healthy family communication and PNA only serves to put young people in harm's way and it must be repealed. And so it's really that work in terms of getting lawyers, arranging these visits, that's really at the core of your work with the Judicial Bypass Project, right? Yes. So I do a lot of intake calls with the young people that we serve. My role is to help them connect with an attorney or I will take on the case myself and help out with bypass hearings. You know, Margaret talked a little bit about that process and how hard it was. Is it as hard from your end in terms of working directly with these young people? How difficult it is on our end is definitely nothing compared to how much of a challenge and how stressful it is for the young people. So, you know, as attorneys, we we have to take the time to interview our clients and help prepare them. But on their end, you know, they have the stress hanging over their head of having to talk about these intimate details with with strangers, with a judge, and it just is incredibly stressful on on their end and just unnecessarily, you know, traumatizing. 
the Parental Notice Act is really inconsistent with Illinois' approach to access to reproductive health care, isn't it? It really is. So the, the PNA is is inconsistent because all of other Illinois laws recognize that young people are capable of making informed decisions about how to handle unplanned pregnancies. And so in Illinois, a pregnant minor can decide to continue their pregnancy and give birth, uh, consent to far risky far riskier medical care, such as a cesarean section, and they can place their child up for adoption. And all of this is without being forced to involve a parent. And so only when a young person decides to end their pregnancy does the government force them to tell their family. So the bills that would repeal the Parental Notice Act have been introduced in Springfield. As we record this in early March, where those two pieces of legislation stand? So the bills have been introduced in, in both chambers of the Illinois General Assembly to repeal PNA. And so the next steps will be a committee hearing on the bill in one chamber, which will likely be the Senate. Um, and we anticipate that will happen in mid to late March. And we're working to have votes on the bill in both chambers before the legislative session, which concludes at the end of May. So for our listeners out there who've heard this, who've heard the hardships of this law who've heard you talk about this process, what would you say that they should be doing to help be part of the effort to repeal this really harmful law? So for folks who are interested in in supporting our efforts, they should definitely call or email their representatives in the Illinois General Assembly and tell them that they want to support the repeal of PNA. Folks can also visit www.repealpna.org to find information about how to contact their legislators and other ways to get involved. We also encourage you to subscribe to action alerts from the ACLU of Illinois so that folks can learn about different opportunities to take action as this uh, legislative session continues. Well, Davina, thanks so much for joining us to, to give us a quick update on this, and we'll continue to follow this process as it moves through the legislature. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Talking Liberties. We appreciate your following us. And I'd like to thank our guests for today, Margaret Worth from Human Rights Watch and Davina DiPaolo from the ACLU of Illinois staff. You can learn more about the Human Rights Watch report Margaret discussed and the effort to repeal parental notice by going to our website at aclu-il.org. Talking Liberties is produced by Max Bever. Our content supervisor is Kimberly Kozeel. The executive director of the ACLU of Illinois is Colleen Connell. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating for us. You can contact us directly at Talking Liberties, all one word, at aclu-il.org. So until next time, this is Talking Liberties, and we will see you soon. Take care.